Hey, good morning, guys. Great to see all of you here. It's been a great morning already. Uh, man, we love to see people get baptized. We love to see lives changed by Jesus. And you may have noticed we've started giving out these t-shirts when someone gets baptized. And the front of the shirt says, Made New, just like the sign at the front of the stage here. More on that later. But this is exactly what Jesus does. He, he doesn't just give you a better life. He gives you a brand new life. Before that new life can happen, though, we have to lay our own life down. And this is what baptism is about. Baptism is an act of surrender. This is what we see in Scripture. It's about dying to yourself, dying to sin, being buried in water, and then rising up to live a new life. And man, for most of us, we love that idea of new life. That sounds really good. What we struggle with is the surrender part. Now, Jesus said, you can't skip that. This surrender part is mandatory. Luke 9.23, listen to what Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And those are some tough words, right? Deny yourself. That means you have to set aside your own desires. And, and you don't get to run the show anymore. You have put Jesus in charge. And then take up your cross daily. When you think about what it meant for Jesus to take up his cross, that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? And then follow me. That's where you say, Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go even if I had no intention of going there myself. And I will do whatever you want me to do, even if I don't feel like it. We struggle with that because uh, we don't like it when people order us around. Unfortunately, though, there's no other option. Following Jesus means choosing surrender over control. We don't like that choice because we don't like to give up control. We, we want a world where everything is exactly the way we want it to be. It kind of reminds me of some HOAs. Uh, I'm sure most of you know that HOA stands for Homeowners Association. And in neighborhoods like mine, the HOA, they come up with a set of guidelines that all of the homes in the community have to follow. So they make the rules, and they also enforce the rules. And in a lot of cases, an HOA can be very helpful. I've seen that. But sometimes, HOAs can be pretty controlling. Uh, for example, um, I did a, a quick search on HOA horror stories. Some good stuff out there. Uh, there's a, a family in Missouri they lived in this neighborhood, and they put up a swing set in their backyard, and they painted the, the wood with a purple stain. Uh, the girls wanted a, a purple swing set, and so that's what they got, and then they, they loved it. However, the HOA said that color is unacceptable. In defense of the family, the guidelines didn't mention anything about specific colors. Here's what they said. The guidelines said, Everything has to be harmonious with the community and harmonious with nature. So some gray area there. And the homeowner said, well, 
we believe our color is harmonious with nature. In the fall, the leaves in our backyard, they turn purple and red. This is going to look great. The HOA did not agree, and they hit that family with a series of fines that got larger and larger. The family, also holding on to controls, said, no, we're not going to change. So the HOA threatened legal action. Eventually, they threatened jail time. Jail time for a purple swing set. <laughs> well, finally, the case went to court, and very quickly, the judge ruled in favor of the homeowners, and they got to keep their swing set. There are lots and lots of stories like that. There's a, a thread on Reddit. It's just one after another. One guy said uh, his neighborhood, the HOA, uh, used drones to make sure no one was growing vegetables in their backyard. That's one way to handle it. Now, we can look at examples like that and say, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. But the reality is we all struggle with control issues. We want things to be the way we want them to be. But when it comes to our relationship with God, this is a major problem because our will is not always in alignment with God's will. Now, I'm a visual learner, so I have a diagram that helps me understand this. And the diagram starts with two circles. The circle on the left represents my will. The circle on the right represents God's will. Now, in the next image, we see these two circles overlapping, and that's kind of the way that it is. You see that light blue section there? That's where God and I get along just fine. He and I are on the same page. We agree there. Our, our will crosses over. But you can already see the problem, right? There's a big section where God's will is not in alignment with my will. Same thing on the other side. There are lots of things I want that God does not want. And it's not just me, right? This is true for all of us. We all want certain things that God does not want. But let's ask an honest question here. What's the big deal? Is it really that important to be in perfect alignment with God's will? I mean, why do we have to deny ourselves and surrender every desire to God? Well, there are many reasons why surrender is the best plan, but I'll give you one reason. that It's just common sense. God's will is better than our will. Uh, Jesus can run my life far better than I can. I want to go back and read Luke 9.23 again, but this time we'll read the next verse as well. So Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Next verse. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So Jesus says, sure, you can hold on to your life and try to control it. But if that's your plan, if you stick with that plan, you're on a path that leads to your own destruction. At the end of the day, God is the one who knows what's best for you. And God wants that for you. He can make that happen. God wants to give you this abundant life that starts now and it stretches into eternity. God wants you to have a life of purpose, a life full of joy and peace. But the only way to find that life is through surrender. I have a friend named Paul who's the pastor of a church out in St. Louis 
And several years ago, this church changed their name. They used to be called South Telegraph Christian Church. That was their name because they were located on Telegraph Road. But Paul was drawn to this idea of surrendering everything to Christ. So guess what they changed their name to? They're now called White Flag Church. And we all know what a white flag means, right? When you're in a battle and you're losing, you know it's not going to end well, you, you give up and you wave the, the white flag. So it's when a weaker party chooses to surrender to the stronger party. Now, when the church changed their name, that rubbed some people the wrong way, especially guys with a military background. Uh, a man named Samuel said this. He said, being a soldier for the past 20 years, I was a little apprehensive about this name change. I've been trained to never surrender and never accept defeat and never quit. But then he said this. Through the 23 years of my Christian walk, I think that might just be my problem. I have a hard time surrendering in some areas of my life, like finances, work, family, church. And I find myself surrendering to other things I should not surrender to, like gossiping and selfishness. Please pray for me. I need help to surrender all to Jesus. Another man named Ryan said this, As a soldier, surrender is seen as weakness and defeat. It's hard to think anything good could come from it. But when you surrender to God, you're made stronger. I surrendered to God today at church. And knowing that, there's relief and a weight lifted off. Until recently, I never realized how important it is to not just go through the motions, but to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks to Paul and all the family at White Flag Church, I now have the strength to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I can now be the husband, father, and man that I have always wanted to be. Ryan was baptized into Christ, and, and like many of us, he's learned that Surrender is better than control. God's will is better than ours. So what happens when a church is full of people who are fully surrendered to Jesus? Well, that's when we become the church that God wants us to be. Today we're wrapping up this four-week series called We Are the Church. Really, though, we're just getting started because this is the theme for 2024 here at Plum Creek we don't just go to church, we are the church. And we don't just talk about following Jesus, we're actually doing it. We're taking some big steps this year to follow where Jesus leads. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a particular passage in the book of Acts, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And this passage is a snapshot of the church in the earliest days of Christianity. And we see a, a pattern here. There are things we can learn. Uh, we can follow some of the pattern that we see in these verses. So uh, we've read this several times. I want to read it one more time. Acts 2, starting with verse 42. It says, They, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, throughout this series, we've looked at this passage, and we've identified three important characteristics of the early church. There are lots of things we could look at, but we're focusing on these three. And once again, uh, for all of us visual learners, we have a diagram that shows us these three characteristics. The diagram is called the Great Commission Engine. And as many of us know, the Great Commission is the task that Jesus gave his followers shortly before he left this world. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to his followers, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, don't just huddle together and wait for heaven. No, go into the world. Make more disciples. That was the mission of the early church, and we have that same mission today. Plum Creek is here to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now, in the middle of this diagram, we have your one, and that phrase is a callback to the story that Jesus told about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep. But then one of those sheep wandered away and got lost. And then the the shepherd left the 99 to go out and find the one sheep and bring it home. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to see here in our time. He wants those lost sheep, also known as our ones, to find their way home to God. And with that goal in mind, God has organized the church in a way that helps us pursue this mission. And this takes us back to those three characteristics of the early church in Acts chapter 2. We call them the three pistons of the Great Commission engine. Piston 1 is called the gathering. That's where the church assembles together and they, they come together and worship. As we saw in Acts 2.42, the early Christians, they met in places like the temple courts. And in the gathering, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper, and they were devoted to prayer. And here at Plum Creek, this is what happens on Sunday morning right now. This is the gathering. Piston 2 is called community, and we talked about this last week. In Acts 2.42, we also see the early Christians were devoted to fellowship. And that word fellowship is translated from the Greek word koinonia. You remember what that means? Koinonia means Sharing life together like a family. And here at Plum Creek, that that happens when we break down into smaller groups like life groups. And as I said last Sunday, uh, we have an opportunity right now because we have two new life groups starting next week. And if you want to sign up for one of those groups, you can go to plumcreek.org slash smallgroups today. Go ahead and get signed up. Finally, we have... Piston number three. This piston is called surrender. This is what we're focusing on today. This is where you deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, 
All three of these pistons are firing. And amazing things are happening. Miracles are taking place. God is working. And, and this church, this church is bringing glory to God, making disciples, expanding his kingdom. Lost people are coming home. And we have to remember these things don't happen because of us. This engine is powered by prayer and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we depend on His power to accomplish anything of real and lasting value. But this is the pattern that we want to follow. And if you ask me, I'd say piston number three is the most difficult one to live out. It's because surrender just doesn't come naturally to any of us. But it is possible We can learn to say no to our desires and yes to what God wants. And that should be the pattern for every Christian. Let's go back to those circles again. Now, think about what happens when you surrender to Jesus for the first time. That's where you say, God, my heart is yours. Totally yours, 100%. And when you say that, you may be very sincere in principle, but in a practical sense, we don't find that easy. It's not easy to be on the same page with God. We're going to struggle with this for the rest of our lives. However, as time goes by, and as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, you can develop a habit of surrendering to God, and you can grow to be more in line with His will. And the more your heart lines up with God's heart, the more you stand out in this world. People will notice. They'll they'll see that you're growing to be more and more like Jesus. You, You don't get there, not in this lifetime, but you can grow in that direction. And that's what we see in those early Christians in Acts chapter 2. They followed the example of Jesus. Take just one area, the area of giving and generosity. These these Christians, they weren't just generous, they were sacrificially generous, kind of like Jesus sacrificed his his own life. But but look at this, Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, if you're like me, you read that description and you think, Is that what we're supposed to do? Does God want us to live in a commune? Well, I don't believe communal living is a universal pattern for every church. But here's what I do believe. Whenever God calls us to be generous with our money or our possessions, we need to be ready and willing to let go. That's the pattern. And just two chapters later, we get a more detailed description of what this looked like in the early church. Check it out. Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now that's key right there. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. We tend to think, my stuff is my stuff. But they said, no, my stuff is not my stuff. It's not my own. Well, then who does it belong to? Well, the reality 
for all of us is we don't own anything. Not really. Everything we have belongs to God. And He's loaned us some things for, for right now. And we get to be managers and stewards of what God has given us. That was the mindset of these early Christians. And when you have that mindset, it's a whole lot easier to let go and be sacrificially generous. You just say, God, it's all yours. You tell me what to do with it. Well, let's keep reading. Same paragraph. It's, it's amazing. Uh, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Man, it's an amazing picture, isn't it? There were no needy persons among them. Best I can tell, these early Christians, they didn't need health insurance or life insurance. They just took care of each other. Now, that was a special moment in history. But we do need to acknowledge something. This snapshot in the book of Acts, it's a beautiful picture. But it didn't stay beautiful for long. You know why? People are people, and we struggle with surrendered living. So it wasn't long before you started to see arguments and division in the early church. It's a sad thing. As you read the rest of the New Testament, the church doesn't quite look like it did in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4. They drifted from the original pattern that God had given them. And whenever that happens, whenever the church drifts away from God's pattern, whether that's in the first century or the 21st century, we need to go back. One of the best ways to go back is to go to piston number three, surrender. So let's get specific here. What does surrender look like in our time, in our setting? Well, here's, here's the basic idea. Surrender means that you let God tell you what to stop doing what to start doing, and what to keep doing. So how do you know what God is telling you to do? Well, if you really want to know what God is saying to you, just let Him speak to you through His Word. I believe right now there is a specific area of your life where God is asking and telling you to surrender. So we're going to do a little exercise here, kind of rapid fire. Using Scripture, I'm going to go through a list. And I encourage you to pick at least one item from this list. And then uh, over the course of this week, ask God to help you surrender in this area. Now, this, this is going to come fast, so stay on your toes. First, here are a few things God may be telling you to stop doing. First, He might be saying, stop worrying. And trust me, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Or maybe God is saying, Listen, stop acting like sin is no big deal. 
Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. On the other hand, maybe God is saying to you, hey, stop beating yourself up. I know that you blew it, but I still love you. And Jesus died to cover that sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can rest in his amazing grace. So that's just a a few things God may be telling you to stop doing. Here's some things he may want you to start doing or keep doing. God may be calling you to find a ministry and start serving either inside or outside the church. In 1 Peter 4.10, the Apostle Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here's another possibility. Maybe God is calling you to be sacrificially generous in some way, maybe here at church or, or with someone you know in need. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Maybe God is telling you to help the church go and make disciples. I don't have to read that verse, do I? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And you know, there are so many ways to help with this task. You might just look to the people right around you, your friends, your neighbors, your family. God has put people in your life, these ones, and he may be leading you to invest in one of those ones right now, to build a stronger friendship, to pray for that person, to help them take their next step closer to Jesus. Invite them to do that. Or maybe he's leading you to go. Maybe to go to another country. This year we have two short-term mission trips coming up, one to the Dominican Republic and one to Myanmar. And this week is the deadline to sign up for those trips. Or maybe God is calling you to be a sender. You can help others take the gospel to unreached people around the world through prayer, through financial support, through encouragement. Man, when you look at the big picture, there are so many opportunities for us to surrender to God's calling and to God's will. But there's one more item on this list, and it's a big one. Maybe God is calling you to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. You can learn by experience that surrender is better than control. God's will is better than your will. New life in Christ is infinitely better than that old life of sin and death. And if that's where you are today, we are praying that you will take that step. And over the years here at Plum Creek, we've seen many people take this step. In the back of the room over in the corner there, The imagine sign is a reminder of lives that have been changed by Jesus. Now, if you came to Plum Creek in the last year or two, uh, you may not even know what that sign is about. 
Um, but for several years, when someone was baptized into Christ, uh, they added a light bulb to that sign. And as a church, we prayed that one day all the empty sockets in that sign would be filled. And praise God, we got to see that. Now, since that time, we haven't had a, a tangible to display to, to mark and celebrate when someone gets baptized. Today, though, we're fixing that. David, our worship minister, built this new display right here. And uh, here's how it works. Starting today, when someone gets baptized, they're going to take a, a disc like this one. And they'll write their name or their initials on that disc, and then they'll drop it into the display. And from what I've been told, we have room for over 200 of these discs. And we're going to pray for all of that space to be filled. But I'm really excited right now because we're going to go back and get caught up. Now, the final light bulb was added to the Imagine sign a few years ago. And since that time, over 100 people have been baptized at Plum Creek. I think it's close to 120. So if you are one of those people, in a moment, we're going to invite you to come down to the front here and take one of these discs on either table, take a marker, and then write down your name or your initials, and then come over to the display, and right here at that white slot, just drop it in and join the rest of those. And this is a powerful testimony that shows us how God has been working over the years. And it's also a chance for us to pray for those ones who still need to come home. You know, you may be one of those ones right now. And if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, man, don't hesitate. If you've never been baptized into Christ, man, we invite you to do that. And we'd love to, to talk with you and walk, walk you through that decision. You could come see me after service. I'll be down front here. You could also go back to the Connection Cafe, and someone would be there to talk with you and pray with you as well. But right now, I'm going to pray, and then the band is going to come out and lead us in worship. And then as we sing, if you were baptized after that Imagine sign was filled up, uh, you're invited to come down, take a disc, write your name on it, and then drop it in the display. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for new life in Christ. We're thankful for your word that, that shows us that you love us and, and you want us to experience that new life. We're thankful for the example of Jesus, for the life and, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I thank you for the example of those early Christians who, who learned to surrender to you. And Lord, I pray that we will follow those examples today and we will let ourselves be used by you to accomplish the purpose that you have laid out for us. And we know, Lord, we can't do that on our own. We're depending on you. We're depending on the power of your spirit because we can't change lives. We can't change hearts. You can. And so we celebrate every time that's happened and we pray for that to happen for all those ones in the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.